Hi, everybody. It's family Sunday. So good to see everybody here. <clears throat> mm. All right. Oh. So uh, a couple years ago, uh, more than a couple years ago, I was uh, sitting in a classroom in grad school, and um, as I was sitting there, um, there was a break in the class, and uh, I decided to check my email. And in my email, um, I, I apparently laughed out loud and absentmindedly said something to the effect of, you know you're a parent when you see things, you know, words like explosive diaper in the subject line. And I was sitting next to a friend of mine, a guy named Ken, probably one of the smartest guys I know. And he, he looked over, he's a 30-something, uh, very focused guy, uh, worked an awful lot, was working on a, a master's degree, and so didn't have a whole lot of time for dating, wasn't married, no kids. And, and, and he, um, he looked over at me with this funny look on his face and said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? I'm like, oh... I just got a, a, a note from my wife uh, about um, our daughter's uh, explosive diaper. <clears throat> and the look on his face was absolutely priceless. Just kind of this horrified fascination, like, what are you talking about? And now, I, I need to explain something to you, to you ladies, Okay. And I'm sorry I'm going to go in this direction, but it's really important because this, this is vital to you. Ladies, there's something about putting the word explosive and poo in the same sentence that tends to excite the junior high boy in every man. Okay? So your fathers and your brothers and your sons, there's a reason why they giggle when you use certain words, because there's a part of us that have never really grown out of that at all. So here I am sitting in a graduate program with some highly intelligent people, and my buddy is looking at me funny like, what is this thing that you're talking about? An explosive diaper. And so I began to describe to him some of the experiences that we've had with explosive diapers. And the look on his face was like, Wait, 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 wait a minute. Are, are you telling me that, that that little thing can produce enough, I'm not making this up, PSI to force the poo up and out? And I said, yes. Now, for those of you who don't know, PSI means pounds per square inch. And it's a measurement of pressure. And he, being the engineer that he was, is starting to equate this to a pressure valve. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but diapers don't have gaskets around that seal everything in. And he's looking at me like, are you, like this was new, literally, I watched, mind blown. No idea that this, this was happening. And so that was kind of his introduction to babies because he really didn't have any friends that had children. And here we have this new little one and I'm describing this brand new experience that he couldn't possibly imagine. And I'm fairly certain I scarred him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Now it was fun for me. I mean, I, I enjoyed every last second of it, but poor, poor Ken. He just kind of... 
It's amazing how babies can change our perspective about things. I remember when we uh, told my, my parents that we were going to have Elizabeth. And my dad, who was a man of few words, looked at me and he just said, oh, son, your life is about ready to change. You, it's just going to be, everything's just different. I mean, he was struggling to find these words of the, the, the magnitude of change. And, and I said, oh, dad, I, I know. I, I, I'm already thinking just a little bit differently about how we're going to do this. And my dad looked at me, he goes, stop talking. You don't know what you're saying. And you know what? He was right. I had no idea what that was, that babies will change that perspective. At the very minimum, here's what babies do. Babies can reduce a room full adult, of adults to uh, high-pitched babbling fools, right? I mean, think about it. It's, it's, the, it's the, the language that we use. It's the faces we make, you know, and we do all this. And yeah, and all of you are giggling because you've done it too. And it's the stuff that we buy. Oh my gosh, how did our parents live without baby wipey warmers and diaper genies? I mean, we'd, we'd go out and we buy these things and, and, and we're, it just changes everything. It just changes the perspective. And, and so, you know, we're, we're in this, this season of, of Advent where we, we light these candles in an effort to, to mark time because we're waiting for a baby. Ultimately, we're waiting for this, this baby named Jesus. And so we light a candle each week as we come up to, to Christmas Day when we actually celebrate the birthday. And, and some families, I know they bake birthday cakes and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of fun. And last week, we looked at uh, a passage in Matthew about the birth of Jesus, about this baby that we're waiting for. And if you remember, Matthew is this very Jewish understanding, and, and this week we're, we're going to take a slightly different look. And so I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Interesting how, how uh, Lyle's message kind of dovetails with this a little bit. Um, Luke chapter 2. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you a little bit about Luke while you're, while you're flipping over there. Luke was a Greek he was not a Jew. He was a Greek man, and he was a physician. Um, so he was highly educated in a very classical way. And so a lot of what we see in his gospel, his biography of Jesus, is very Greek, and it's, it's very educated, and there are certain things that he's looking for. It's definitely not Jewish, um, and he, he seems to be very interested in certain historic details. And so let me, let me just start... <clears throat> reading, and you're going to be able to see this very quickly. So Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Uh, here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Now, pause right there. Because here you can see the, the historical nature of this. Now, what's interesting to me is that that um, uh, Luke ties this to some historical events. 
First of all, it was to a particular emperor of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, and also to um, a local, local governor. So he's interested in the historicity. He's interested in tying this event to something else that's going on in the broader world. That's his Greek training that's coming out. And so we see <clears throat> here that every person is supposed to go to their own town to register. Now, typically what that would mean is your family had a location that you were from, and so everyone went there. And I'm not sure why they did that, but um, my guess is they didn't have quite the same postal service that we have today, uh, or computers, or any of those kinds of things. And so everybody would go to that particular town. At the very minimum, here's what's happening. It's disruptive. Because you got to take time out of your life to travel from one place to another in order to go and do this thing that, 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 that good old Caesar Augustus wants you to do. Make sense? Very disruptive moment. Let's keep reading. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, was, he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, remember, in Matthew, Matthew established that Joseph was the line of King David by doing a genealogy. And here, um, what we have is Luke giving it to us in a story sending him to Bethlehem because that was where the seat of the Davidic line was. In fact, Bethlehem was called the town of David um, at one point. And I, I'm thinking my way through this a little bit. And, and can, you, can you imagine, Nazareth is in the northern part of Israel. Bethlehem is in the southern part of Israel. And Joseph is traveling from north to south with a pregnant lady probably on a donkey. That could not have been fun at all, uh, especially for mama, right? But also because Joseph's got to be wondering what, 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 what's going on here. And then they get to the town and she looks at him and says, guess what? It's time. Really? Great. Now notice what it says here at the end that she wrapped him in claws, put him in a manger because there was no room for them in, in the inn. Now, couple things that we're going to say about that a little bit later, but you get the sense here that these are not ideal conditions to have a child, right? And part of me just wonders, you know, you're going you to wonder if Joseph just shook his head and looked up at the sky and went, really? Seriously? Yeah, this is great. These are real people, and they were living in real circumstances. So let's keep reading. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. If you're King James version, version, they were sore afraid. Love that. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Oh, wait, where is it? I bring you good news. Good news of great joy. Right? Good. Some kids were paying attention. Awesome. And I've lost my place. Awesome. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, please understand that having shepherds out in the fields near Bethlehem was a common scene. Why? Well, Bethlehem was slightly south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a major metropolitan city, and it was kind of up in the mountains. Bethlehem had some plains around it, and Bethlehem supplied all of the sheep for the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. So they had lots of sheep. So this was a very common scene to have these shepherds in the fields. And um, uh, so this would, uh, this would not have been out of, out of the ordinary. Keep reading. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, Luke can be kind of subtle here, right? A little understated. You just saw angels, man. Holy smokes. I, to me, the David version goes a little bit different in my head. But, you know, let's go, man. Let's get on to Bethlehem. There's this thing that happened. And so, fortunately, he tells us they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The story is familiar, isn't it? And it's very familiar because a guy named Linus tells us every year on the Charlie Brown special. And I love how he says at the end, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Can you imagine getting that produced on television today? Probably not. But let's be honest. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Savior, this person of the Davidic line that had been promised and prophesied and, and everybody is waiting for, and you read this story and it doesn't seem very royal, does it? I mean, seriously, this is not uh, something where you talk about the Savior or a king or the awaited one. What about this? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, and you read this scene and you go, really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it here. This is feeling a little bit, a little bit different. This just feels odd. So, so let's, let's get this straight. So his parents are common. Sure, we've established the fact that he is of the lineage of, of King David, but they're certainly not living like that. Very clearly that they're not. In fact, elsewhere we learn that Joseph is a carpenter. And we also uh, look a little bit later in chapter 2 when, when they go to present Jesus at the temple, which every firstborn son is to be presented at the temple, and they made an offering for him. What they chose was the offering that was designated for people of low income. A couple of birds. Not a sheep, not a goat, because that was expensive. So Mary and Joseph could only afford the two birds. So we know that they're not living like kings. We know that they're quite common as it goes. Now, it also, you know, we, we, we look at this and we say he's born in a barn because it's where you find mangers or in barns, right? Well, that's not quite right because in that day and age, the animals lived in the house with people on the bottom floor. 
People would live on the top floor. Why? Because they generated heat, and heat rises. And so you would have the animals in the bottom part, and it would rise to, to heat the upper floors. So it wasn't really that he was born in a barn, but there was no room for him in the inn. So again, we kind of come back to this idea. This is not the most ideal set of circumstances for a baby to be born. If you got a, if you got a common deer, a manger, you know that something's wrong, right? <clears throat> His first visitors, shepherds. A quick note about shepherds. These were rustic people, rednecks, really, working the light shift. In fact, some of the ancient sources say, quite frankly, that shepherds were deemed untrustworthy for whatever reason. Now, if you were a, if you were a pregnant mama and you just had a baby, would you really want a bunch of shepherds showing up saying, hey, can you imagine that? We have this group of shepherds. Someday I want to explore this idea that, that they went around these untrustworthy people giving testimony about the things that they've seen and people were amazed by it. I'm going to do a little exploring on that. Maybe next year. And then finally, finally, out of all of this, we have a baby. A baby. Why a baby? Why a baby? Because if you think about it, Back in Matthew's biography of Jesus, there's one verse that describes the birth. Just one. And Mark and John, the other two biographies of Jesus that we have, don't even mention the birth at all. And here in Luke, it's the central feature of the birth narrative. I mean, we're talking about, we're making a big deal about this baby. You with me? So what, 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 What's happening within this passage? And I mean, I suppose you've got to start somewhere, so we might as well start with, with a baby. And it seems to me that it's kind of a bizarre way to talk about saving the world with a baby. And again, it's not particularly royal. So why would Luke make this birth so central to his biography? Well, frankly, I think he follows kind of a Greek pattern. Uh, Greeks were very interested in, you know, the kind of birth narratives of their of their history. Alexander the Great had an interesting birth narrative. The founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, although it was a, it was a myth, there was definitely a birth narrative. And, and I think that within the Greek mind that it was an important piece. And, and certainly he wants historical accuracy. And so he's, he's trying to tie all of these events with the larger culture. And But let me suggest to you something that I think you probably already know. We get babies. We do. We get them. They're people magnets because you put a baby in a room and all of a sudden people flock to the baby. Unless the baby's crying, then it goes right back to mama and everybody does this, right? But we understand babies. Babies are approachable. Babies are relatable. We can relate to them. We understand babies, because we all were that way at some point. We understand that 
they grow and they mature, but it's like you and me. And I think that when we look at this, this birth narrative, what Luke is ultimately saying to us is this. He became human for you so that you could relate to him, so that you could approach him, so that you could understand him. When, when we can't go to him, he comes to us in a way that we understand. And so God wraps himself in human flesh so that we could have some understanding of who he is and what he was about. In part, a baby says to us, I think, that you don't have to to have a certain job or a certain balance in your bank account. I think a baby says to us, you don't have to be educated in a particular way. A a baby says that you you don't have to come from a particular family and you don't have to live in a certain part of the country. It's all of those things. To be a part of this, whatever this is, that he came to bring to us. Everybody can belong. Each one of us can belong to a church, to his kingdom, and ultimately to himself. We can belong to Jesus. You see, life, life with Jesus, here's the thing that I've, I've realized. Life with Jesus is not about what happened in the past. And it, it's not even where you're from or the things that you've gone through. <laughs> life with Jesus is about who you're becoming and who you belong to. And God wants to relate to you. He wants you to be a part of that. We can all understand a baby, so he shows up that way and he invites us to belong and to grow, quite simply. So maybe... Um, this holiday season, maybe this holiday season, you know all of this and you're celebrating it. Well, let me just say Merry Christmas to you. Celebrate that with you. Maybe this holiday season, you know this. You know everything I just said. This is not new to you, but you've forgotten. The lights and the noise have drowned out the baby's cry. Guess what? He's still here. He's still waiting for you. He's still understandable and relatable and approachable. Maybe you've not heard this before, so here's the good news. There was this baby. He was born 2,000 years ago. And he grew to become this miracle-working rabbi. He was also the savior of the world. And I'd love to tell you more about him. So wherever you are this holiday season, my prayer is that you would relate, that you would approach, and that you would understand what this season really means, what it really captures, 